0: A lot of growing a business to scale is finding out what are the things you really need to manage and how can you subcontract a lot of that individual management.
1: Welcome to BizBuild Podcast presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I, on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at diamondback.toolbelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. Want to know how to make a small fortune in business? Start with a big one. God darn right. Today, Diamondback and the BizBuild podcast. Connor and I are here to talk about where Diamondback is currently and where the company is headed. This is not just about Diamondback and what we're currently doing. This is also uh, a little bit of an insight into the day-to-day operations that go on here, some of the challenges and the trials and tribulations that we're facing at this current time. You may be able to relate to those trials and tribulations running your own business. And if you're trying to start your own business, you will run into these things eventually. Beginning with our current state of affairs, which is growing the business uh, from a small mom and pop to a larger international uh, retail. Well, I wouldn't say we were a retail outlet, like international firm. Yeah. A international firm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we want to call it. Uh, Diamondback began uh, in 1990, 1993. Jim Skelton out in California, who was an avid outdoorsman and carpenter himself, suffered a back accident uh, doing something crazy. Uh, he wanted to c- continue to do work in the world of carpentry, yet due to his injuries that he sustained, he wasn't able to wear a standard tool belt and do the normal things a carpenter would do so he decided for himself that he was going to design a tool belt that was not only going to fulfill the needs of carrying his tools but also support his back so he can continue to do work Uh, and that's how diamondback started he and his wife were selling those tool belts in a garage and selling them using advertisements in fine home building magazine and other uh crafts magazines as well and he did that for years until eventually the company sold to a group out in Alaska who continued the same sort of process of building, uh, of creating the belts by order. So if you ordered a Diamondback tool belt at that time, it took about four to six months to actually get it. When Connor Crook took over the company about three years ago, one of the first things that he wanted to do was upgrade the operations of of Diamondback and make it so that the belts were more readily available. He found manufacturers within the United States that were willing to create the tool belt, uh, mass create the tool belt, so that when people ordered the tool belt, they could get their orders right away and not have to wait. Now, three years later, we've gone from selling a few a month to selling as many in a week as Jim Skelton was selling in a year. And with that comes a ton of challenges. And the first thing I would like to talk about is the supply chain. And when I talk about the supply chain, what I'm referring to is everything that goes into the, the materials that go into making the tool belts and how to get those materials, how to service those materials to manufacturers, and then how to get those belts to us so that we can get them out to our customers. Now, I was not a part of the company during that process. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But you went through a – jumped through a lot of hoops in order to find, first of all, the right materials and then find the right people to put those materials together.
0: Sure. Um,
1: And, you know, one of the key things to remember
0: is when we were first starting out, we were – you know, there was some history with the company, but it was certainly not – uh, at a large production scale, so, you know, we bought the company and started going around talking to manufacturers, saying, "Can you make this?" Well, how many do you need? I don't know. Um, which is really not a good way to approach um, professional manufacturing, but it was all that we had. You know, we had a best guess of
1: how much we could make, and and we had to start really small. Um, it might be hard to to secure a manufacturer if you're saying, I only need five of these a week? Sure. Um, larger manufacturers are
0: used to making larger runs of single of single items. We all know that you know, in, any, in any business, if you can make your process streamlined so that you're making the same thing over and over again, you can do it better, you can do it more quickly, you can do it less expensively, and you can do it with less chance of mistakes, which add to your your cost because you have to redo things and that sort of thing so it was very difficult at the beginning to find a manufacturer who was really you know we found somebody who was willing to kind of take a chance on us and we started out making small runs of individual of you know we started black denali we're going to just make black denalis for a while until we get enough that we can start going from there and, and we Slowly. That was the highest selling belt. Right. And, and so we started started there. And, uh, you know, eventually we pared down some of the pouches so that we didn't have A, B, C, and D. We said, you know, we really only need A, B, and C. And, and, and we've continued that effort by trying to make the system more modular so that instead of having you know, A, B, and C pouch. Now we can just have A and B pouch, but we can have add-ons one, two, and three that fill those gaps, mm-hmm. um, making it more modular. And part of that is is for the production process, but part of that is also part of the, uh, the general overview of how we want Diamondback to work is as a system that you can customize to your needs. And really it's your needs today, because if you get a totally custom tool belt, it might work great for you today, but in 10 years, and a diamondback's gonna last you at least that long, Mm -hmm. think about what tools you were using 10 years ago versus what tools you're using today. And you you see that as your career changes, as your methods of work change, you're gonna want some flexibility. So by making the individual pouches more of a skeleton or a platform that can be built on with these modular accessories, we're really building for the future there uh, so that you can, uh, r- if you need to reconfigure your system down the road, you can in an easy way.
1: We we work, uh, We get a lot of calls from people who start in framing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're needing a, a lot larger setup. They're maybe looking at the, a, a Denali or something like that. But then over the years, they moved into more specialized fields, trim work, install, things of that sort. Um and they realize, okay, these big framing bags that I had no longer work, but I spent all this money on this huge framing rig, but I need something else. So really what you're saying is that you're sort of addressing that th- the need for people in the trades to grow within the trades in their tool belt to be able to grow or change with them. Sure.
0: It's, it's a long-term investment, so we need to build it in a way that it can change as you change. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, other specific things along the way. So when we originally so when we started out manufacturing, you know, one of the greatest things about the diamondback system is the hammer holster. Well, we started off, they were sewn to the bags. Like, well, let's make 50 Elias bags and we'll make 25 of them with the hammer holster sewn on and 25 without. I can't tell you how many days I spent trying to cut hammer holsters off of bags. Sometimes I even just sent the bags to the customer with the hammer holster sewn on, even though I didn't order it, (laughs) because it wasn't worth my time to try. The way those things were sewn on there, it's so hard to get them off. Complimentary hammer holster with your Denali. Exactly. So um, when we first moved into retail with Atlas Machinery up in Toronto, we had to come up with a way to make that modular. Mm -hmm. And we had a couple of not just foul balls, we had some straight up strikeouts on um, attempts to figure out a way to do that before uh, we settled into the method that we have now. Um, you know, For instance, we started off with some rivets, they pulled out. So then we went to some bolts and we had some issues there. Then we added the grommets. Then we realized the bolts we were using that were black oxide rusted. So we had to switch to stainless, but you know, we were able to conquer all of those things pretty quickly. Uh, anybody who had a problem with an, an earlier method, we happily replace it, um, you know, to make sure that the customer got the full value.
1: And those can be expensive mistakes because obviously, you think if you solve the problem, you probably ordered, you know, five thousand black oxide bolts, which are probably in a box somewhere in this warehouse that we're sitting in. Yep, <laughs> and they'll never be used again. Yeah, we'll f- figure out something to do, and we'll throw them at somebody. Right <laughs> down along the line, you probably ran into some other expensive mistakes. So when we're talking about the supply chain, we're talking about the purchasing of the nylon, the threading. Uh, You can't just, you know, go to your local Michaels or craft store to get the sort of nylon that you need in the amounts that you need it. So when you're dealing with this high-grade nylon, you're probably having to buy it in large bulk. Sure, that was... When the company was run as essentially a family
0: business, a home business, lifestyle business, whatever you want to call it, they could buy off lots, second lots of a lot of materials. You now black is black; you can pretty much always be good with the black. But Thanks. when when, <laughs> when when we bought the company, we got a bunch of materials, and it was some time before we realized we had two or three rolls of green cloth, and none of it was the same. Mm. They were buying it on the secondary market, where it would be you know somebody's leftovers or whatever, and they were pretty close, but they were certainly different. Mm-hmm. So we've got a huge roll of green cloth around here that we still use for prototypes because, well it's not the green that we use all the time. It's not the green that we use all the time. Right. And to get to that price point, we were buying, you know, a hundred yards at a time at price point, let's, you know, whatever it was, X. And that was a pretty high price point. And eventually we got to the point where, okay, we said, we're gonna buy a thousand yards of this material. And if you buy 1,000 yards, that's a single dip, as they call it, to, to color match that thing. So we, we said, okay, this is gonna be our color. We're gonna buy 1,000 yards at a time, dip it custom, dye it custom for us. And so then your price comes down to like 90% of X. Mm-hmm. And then down the road, we got to the point where we're saying, okay, you know what? We need, we need to buy 25,000 yards for the year. Mm-hmm. We're gonna buy it in November
1: for the following year. <laughs> You're tuned in to the BizBuild Podcast. I'm Damani. And I'm Connor Crook.
0: So can we get it down to 80% X? And we'll just you know buy it from you as we need it, but you go ahead and we set up a program for that. Go ahead and triple dip it or whatever it is. That you right. Have. And so you know that was a way so that we could start streamlining things. We could start getting the cost down a little bit. And then from there, um, now we're trying to move to the situation where I don't manage all of those things. Um, What I want to do as as our volume increases, we can work with larger manufacturers and manufacturers who would never have talked to us early on. And with them, they, they don't want an order for 50 wrangle pouches. They want an order for 1,000 wrangle pouches. And they're not going to send them all at one time, but they want to have it built in that they're going to get this much business. And so the the trade-off there is, they say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll buy 1,000 wrangle pouches from you. But you've got to buy the cloth. You've got to buy everything. You use your buying power for that. I want a turnkey job. And so as we have grown a lot of trying to make our supply chain simpler, is to give the manufacturers the specs we need. Say, wrangle pouch has to look like this, has to have all these specifics about it, has to be made with these materials. This is is where you can get these materials. If you wanna substitute materials, that's fine. Let us know ahead of time. Let us confirm that it is an adequate substitution. Mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff is commodity that you can buy from point from A or B. And if they have a regular source with B, then they get a better price. But we set out the specs. And all we get is a wrangle pouch. That's the only thing we have to worry about managing. So a lot of growing a business to scale is finding out what are the things you really need to manage
1: and how can you subcontract a lot of that individual management. Which which ultimately frees up your time to work on other things.
0: Right. I don't need to be spending, trying to go around shopping for the best price on grommets. Uh, That's not the role that I need to
1: carry with a a company the size we are now. Because I imagine that, you know, prior to them purchasing their own cloth and materials, there's a lot of back and forth going because they have to keep the inventory of what they have, then you're communicating with them to figure out how much they have and when they're going to need more, then you're purchasing it, receiving it, resending it. And so in that entire process, if you talk about the time that's spent and time equals money, and then just the shipping of moving things from point A to point B, from point B to point C and then from point c back to point b the cost of that cloth then just you might you, you might have, you just lost the discount
0: sure and and then you know there's uh, always the oh smack we just ran out of whatever and, and that falls on me to then go find it somewhere and and have it shipped to them Whereas now, um, you know, we're moving to we want to have a little bit of everything here. We're sort of the supplier of last resort. If you run out of Velcro, we'll have some we can get to you. If your supplier
1: runs out of whatever, we can get you a couple of those small things. You mentioned Atlas Machinery in Toronto, Mm -hmm. which is our Canadian dealer. Yep. And dealing with them originally – was sort of the catalyst for you to start figuring out how to simplify the system or make it more modular because now you have another party that's involved that has to has to sell your product for you that's right um and since then uh tf tools has come on to become the exclusive distributor for uk and europe kiwi tools in the nordic region sweden denmark finland norway uh then you've got the People's Tool in Australia. And as these other international dealers come on, and then, not to mention the individual stores around the country,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what other challenges did you face in order to create a system that can translate to a dealer so that dealer can then translate that information to a customer and make it a sellable product?
0: Right. Well, the the big issue there is, again, inventory. You know, there, there's a cost for carrying inventory. Um, <clears throat> Think about think about it as, as this way: If I spend thousand dollars for inventory, mm-hmm. that's there's a cost that I have to have a place to put it. Right. There is the cost of me not spending that thousand dollars on something else. I basically put that thousand dollars in a box somewhere, and it's just sitting there. It's not earning interest at a bank. It's not allowing me to go out and buy marketing materials or whatever. And with so many different products, it now means that I've got to have a box of all these different things. So my inventory keeps going more and more and more. I have more money sunk into these boxes in this warehouse, mm-hmm. rather than being able to quickly deploy that money different places. So that's that's on me. In so, hopes that your dealers purchase those sure, boxes from you, purchase uh, you know, dealers and individuals as well. Mm-hmm. But that's a carrying cost that that we have to bear for our business model. Um, Your overhead just shot to the roof. That's right. And so now, with individual dealers internationally who are trying to essentially be our warehouse in other countries, they're not holding a lot of stock, but they've got to be able to take pre-orders, turn those orders around in a rapid fashion, get them to us, we get the products back to them so they can turn them around. Now if if i get a, an order from a dealer in another country and it has 10 things and i don't have one of them it's like well i can send you the nine but that other one i don't have and i don't want to send it in a separate package because it costs a lot of money to send stuff across the across the ocean mm-hmm. um, so now i have to carry even more inventory so that those folks can can easily distribute and that also then puts the onus on us to make the system simpler because so that they're not having, I don't want to inventory 50 different colors mm-hmm. or four, five, six different colors. They certainly don't want to inventory all those colors. So to make the supply chain work and so that everybody doesn't have all this money just put into boxes, mm-hmm. we've got to simplify the system. We've got to make it... Um, easy to describe so that those international dealers who are taking orders often on the phone or through email so that they can explain the system. So we have to uh, be able to explain, not just directly to our customers, but to someone who's then going to sell it.
1: It's like the most complicated version of the telephone game. Because if you don't have a simple way of being able to explain your product, you to me or me to you, then now, then we tr- it, The more complicated it, that is, when we try to explain that to a dealer who may or may not speak English very well, then that translation is going to take a life of its own. And then they've got to then explain it to the customer on the other end. The likelihood of that customer on the other hand, end receiving the correct information and getting the product that they actually want just went down. Exactly. And and now as we
0: move to hiring sales reps, you know, one of the big things we have done is we've grown again, trying to get our costs down. We reinvest that money back into the business so that we can expand our marketing and sales. And, and I want to be clear, I, I know that people are going to listen to this and say, well, if you get your costs down and, you know, you, we should save money. Um, I want to point out that we have not raised any of our prices in three years since we bought this business. And we've tried very diligently to do that, even though, you know, we, we, we can reduce our costs relative, but in in the market, as with inflation, if we can just keep our costs the same, that is essentially getting our costs down because we're fighting against inflation. And part of our philosophy here at Diamondback is to give the best value, but because we believe so strongly in this product, it would be great if I could give this product to 10 people. But I believe that this product is something that so benefits people with their, with their health and wellness to be able to wear these belts. From everything I hear from people, how it has changed their ability to work, it, it's something we need to focus on spreading to as many people as we can. Um, it's, it's really something I feel strongly about is that this is a, is a fantastic product. I didn't design it, I'm just here to sell it. I'm just here to produce it and get it out to as many people as I can. So when we are trying to save money on our costs, we then roll that back into the company to work on being able to spread the word. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what we do. And so now we're taking some of those savings and putting them into hiring an outside sales force. But to your point about communication, now you and I have to be able to explain this system to a, a hired sales rep who is then going to meet with a dealer probably their purchasing agent, not a floor salesman, mm-hmm. explain it to that person who then has to explain it to the floor salesman who then explains it to the customer at the end of the day. So now that game of telephone has gone from one level of removed to two levels of removed to four, and we're almost in Kevin Bacon stage at this point mm-hmm, in time.
1: Mm-hmm. Tune in to the next episode of the BizBuild podcast for part two of this conversation. You won't want to miss it just been listening to the biz build podcast i'm your host damani follow me on instagram at diamondback underscore damani that's d-a-m-a-n-i or follow connor on instagram at diamondback.toolbelts you can also find more about diamondback by visiting our youtube page or facebook page hope you enjoyed what you heard here today and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes take care